2 this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give to us the right appreciation for what we are doing this evening. That we have come to hear not me, but you. That we would understand the centrality of preaching to our own spiritual well-being. And I pray then, Father, that you would help me and all pastors to faithfully deliver your word to your people. And we pray for the power of your spirit for this reason, that you are our instructor and encourager and helper. And it is your ministry that we need. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul has, to this point in time, been talking to the Corinthians about their love of what he calls man's wisdom or the world's wisdom. And again, he has not elaborated or given us specifics on that for the reason that this is an eternal book written for all ages and, of course, the wisdom of the world will always be changing. However, there are things that are common to it, um, a reliance upon man's ability and man's efforts um, and a measurement, I think, by man's measuring devices, uh, one of the great unfortunate pitfalls of fundamentalism, uh, the worldliness with which it uh, defines successful ministries. And so Paul, and, and of course this has, rather than do what one might think it would do or one might argue that it would do, help the church, it has actually contributed to great discord within the congregation and Paul will <clears throat> turn his attention back to that. But, but he has pointed out, for instance, in chapter 1, verse number 17, that Christ did not send him to preach with wisdom of words, so that Paul was never thinking of himself as some kind of an orator or a skilled spokesman or a man who could write a sentence with such power and force and beauty that people would be persuaded simply because it was a beautiful sentence. Um, and then he explained in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1 that actually it is God's will to destroy the wisdom of the wise, that this was a prediction of long ago, that God is going to crush what is arguably the most predominant sin that we have, which is our human pride. And then he argued in 121 that the world, through its wisdom, does not know God, and so the wisdom of the world is not a pathway to God or to the knowledge of God, but is actually leading in the opposite direction. Even though it was something that the Greeks or the Gentiles passionately pursued, just as in our world, folks, everybody wants to know more. And, and the life verse, I would argue, of the scientific religion of American secularism is this, new studies show and something is always being studied anew, and always to a different result, 
always leading the poor, unfortunate flock off in yet one more direction to be fleeced. <clears throat> um, but new studies reveal we've learned something new, and we've learned something new, and we are always in the pursuit of that, and yet what we learn never brings us closer to God, but only farther from Him. And then Paul pointed out that in Romans 1, 24 and verse number 30, that to us, to, to those of us who are the saved, the cross is both God's wisdom and God's power. And so in chapter 2, verses 1 and 4, again, Paul points out to them that he did not come to them in human wisdom, that he consciously, deliberately, willfully skirted anything that might resemble that. So that their faith, chapter 2, verse number 5, and let's begin there by reading that, because that is what Paul uses then to launch into our passage this evening, verses 6 through 16, that, which means so that, verse number 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That we should understand that we have been saved by God through Christ and His work and His death on the cross, which identified Him as a criminal because we are criminals to God. And our substitute needed to become a criminal for us. Um, An unpopular message then, an unpopular message today. Which brings us then, perhaps if we were thinking through that and asking questions, we might ask this, well then, does God disdain wisdom? Thinking so very little of human wisdom, and it should be obvious to us, folks, by the time we get to chapter 2 and verse number 5, that God holds an incredibly dim view of man's wisdom and man's way of doing things when it comes to spiritual matters. Does he think little of wisdom? And of course the answer to that is no, but God doesn't want to leave that no just hanging out there. Instead, what he wishes to do in verses 6 through 16 is defend his wisdom. It isn't enough for us simply to repudiate the wisdom of the world we must understand his wisdom and come to grips with it. And so let's begin by walking through the passage and we'll read a few verses and extract their main point and reinforce it. So let's begin by looking at verses 6 through 9. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him." So, in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, I think that the main point that Paul is making is this, is that God's wisdom is under God's control. It's not just put out there 
in wisdom kind of form. It is God's wisdom that God is controlling. Uh, verse number 6 begins with the with just a simple Greek conjunction, howbeit, that is usually translated with the word but, pointing out the contrast. Right? So that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, but we speak wisdom. Right? We are not denying wisdom or repudiating wisdom. We are rejecting a particular type of wisdom because we are fully aware of God's wisdom. And God's wisdom is spoken then in verse number 6 to them who are perfect, which to us perfect has the idea of moral, the absence of moral impurity, but biblically the word refers to those who are complete or total or mature. And I think that Paul here is using it not, not so much in the practice sense, but in the position sense. Um, <clears throat> in other words, Paul is, <clears throat> although Paul will get to this, he will point out in chapter 3 that he has to talk to the Corinthians like they're unsafe people because they are so enamored of the world's wisdom. But I don't think Paul is making those kinds of of distinctions at this point. In other words, he's not saying I'm only talking to those who are a certain level of Christian maturity, but I'm only talking to those who are saved. Only those who have been perfected in the positional sense are going to be able to grasp this. And so, right? So there's a contrast then in verse number six. We speak the wisdom of God among them that are perfect, to those who are mature, to those who are the saved, to those who have, we will get to this, the genuine ability to understand God, we speak God's wisdom. We do not speak the remainder of verse number six. We do not speak the wisdom of this world. In other words, folks, you have to ask this question. Pastors should be asking this question. If God's people are able to understand God's mind about things, and if God's people are under, able to understand God's wisdom, why would they need to fall back to the inferior man's wisdom? If you're God's people, and I'm not suggesting that you're not, but if you're God's people, and you have God's Spirit, and we have God's Word, and I have God's Word, and I have God's Spirit, and we have God's methodology for meeting. By what possible rationale would we feel a need to interject the world's wisdom into what we're doing? We're either oblivious to the power of God's wisdom, or hopefully this would not be true of any professing ministry or minister, or we do not really possess God's power and God's wisdom. We don't speak the wisdom of God. We speak the wisdom of God to the people of God. We don't speak the wisdom of the world to the people of God, verse number 6. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? And it is the wisdom of this world to go back to verse number 6 and the princes of this world that comes to nothing. And probably and I don't know that I've always held to this, but as I've looked at it, probably when Paul is using the word princess there, he's certainly referring 
to Satan and satanic powers, but I think he is also referring to the, to the wise and powerful humans of this world, the people who are most inclined to use the wisdom of the world to advance their agenda. And that wisdom is going nowhere. That's the idea of come to naught. It is doing nothing. It is accomplishing nothing. It is powering nothing. You know, we used to, years ago, guys would pretty regularly talk about the futility of trying to do the, the work of the Lord and the power of the flesh. But, but folks, that's not, it's not a futility, it's an impossibility. The wisdom of the world is coming to nothing. It is an idling engine. It does not in any way, shape, or form, it does not and it cannot advance the cause of God apart from the way that he is going to use it to destroy the wisdom of the world. <clears throat> and by the way, just, <clears throat> just a, a little bit of a note here, but right, we're trying to do some fairly serious Bible study. <clears throat> Look back at verse number 4. My speech, my preaching... In chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul has been speaking to them in the first person. I, I, me, my. But now he is changing directions a little bit to remind us, and in fact, Peter does remind us, that Paul is also the recipient of this wisdom. And so now he refers to, right, verse number 6, howbeit we speak, we speak. Because we're all in this same kind of boat, folks, that we will, as we will get to. And that is that God is in complete and absolute control of what He's doing. It is not just His wisdom. It is His wisdom under His control. And He is doing something specific and deliberate with us. Verse number 7. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now, biblically, a mystery is something that you can only know when God reveals it to you. It is not something that you can know by reading the end of the book or watching the end of the program. It is something that will never be known by anybody unless God reveals it. We speak God's wisdom, not the world's wisdom. And we speak God's wisdom that is a mystery. It is hidden, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. This is its state. God reveals. God reveals. And now we have, right, we have we get to the end of our Bible, and what do we have? We have the revealing, the final revealing. God is explaining what He is doing. As you read through the Gospels, you will know that Jesus gradually, progressively began to reveal to the disciples what would happen to Him. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And, and I'm going to be tried by the leaders, and I'm going to be found guilty, and I'm going to be killed, but 
I'm going to be raised on the third day. And he, he would mention that and talk about that. And they were perplexed and angry and they tried to stop it. God is revealing his wisdom. And, and Paul is very pointed in his grammar here that it is God who has done the hiding. That it is God's wisdom and God himself has hidden it. And he had predetermined this. That's the idea of ordained there before the world. This is one of the ways that God reminds us of his power and might and knowledge and of our limitations. I mean, as far as we are concerned, folks, there is nothing before the world. And God pretty regularly points out to us that there were things that he was doing before the world ever was. And again, let me just point this out to you because we're trying to do a little bit more of a serious kind of Bible study. The verb, <clears throat> God ordained, is in what the Greek, the Greek would be called the perfect passive tense. It is passive. Somebody is doing the hiding. That is God. It is perfect. It remains hidden until he reveals it. Perfect indicates a past action that has ongoing results. God hid it once and it remained hidden. This is the will of God. And it has been hidden, verse number 8, from the princes of this world. Rulers. And again, I think that these are fallen angel rulers and mighty men rulers. And I just say it that way, folks, because when you read through the account, particularly of the crucifixion, right? Because Paul's talking about the wisdom of God in the cross of Christ. Satan didn't understand what was going to be the end result of the crucifixion. The Jewish leaders didn't understand what was going to be the end result of the crucifixion. They thought they were solving a problem. Right? I mean, they said stuff like this. Look, it's unfortunate that he has to die, but if one man has to die to save the country, well, that's just the way the world works. The Gentiles didn't understand what was happening. They were just trying to placate the Jews. All of these powers, all of their authority, all of their collective knowledge, nobody grasped what they were really doing. Nobody understood the part that they were playing in what was happening. And why is that? It is because God had hidden it from them and they were never going to find it out unless he told it to them. And it was just never going to happen. And this has been written in the scriptures. And I'm terribly sorry, folks, if I burst anybody's bubble about the glories of heaven. But 1 Corinthians 2.9 is not really about the glories of heaven. <clears throat> right? So you read verse number 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written. What is written? Eyes don't see it. Ears don't hear it. What God has prepared. It defies human comprehension. 
folks. This is, this is the point that Paul keeps trying to make. This is the point that we've lost sight of in contemporary and O-line fundamentalism is that there isn't anything that we can do to get a lost man to think that becoming a saved man is a good idea. That it's worth his time. That it's worth his effort. There isn't anything that we can do. There isn't a key to unlock his heart that is in our possession. There isn't a barrier that he could raise that we could withdraw or remove that would fix his objection. This is what Paul is trying to argue to the Corinthians. He would argue it to us today. So eyes don't see and ears don't hear and men don't think the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him, but God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. He is the mystery revealer. Now look, certainly there are beautiful things that the Lord has prepared for them that love Him. I mean, Paul is presenting this, God is presenting this as something that He is doing for our benefit. But the point the verse is making is just simply this. Our human faculties are not up to the task of embracing spiritual realities. And that's true if you're 65 years old, and that's true if you're 6 years old. Our human faculties are not up to the task of embracing spiritual realities. They are revealed by the Spirit. They're revealed by the Spirit. And not even someone, remember I mentioned that Paul has been talking about we, 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 we. Because Paul is included in this. Let Peter describe Paul. Second Peter 3.15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, listen now, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. It's not like, folks, Paul was the smartest guy in the block, so he was the first guy to get it. It's that it's hidden from all of us, and none of us have a mind that will grasp it. None of us have eyes that will see it, and none of us have minds that will think of it. Because the wisdom of God is under God's absolute, undisputed, uncontested control. He reveals it when He will, to whom He will. And that brings us then to verses 10 through 13, that God's wisdom is communicated by God's Spirit. Not by man's wisdom. Not with wise words. But God's wisdom is communicated by God's Spirit. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, yea, the deep things of God, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Right? So it is not by human faculty, 
It is not even, folks, simply by the reading of the Scriptures, although that is very beneficial. But folks, you can find lots of lost people who probably know the Bible better than we do. The the Pharisees knew the Bible very well. But they weren't believers. And they brought their human minds to the Word of God and all they did was corrupt the Word of God. But in contrast, God has revealed to them, them to us through His Spirit. And, and then Paul goes on to kind of, right? He, he doesn't become all mystical, but, but he just begins to explore that both at a supernatural and a human level. Who else would know the depths of what God is thinking and doing besides God's Spirit? And if we think, well, you know, yeah, okay, well then let's, let's make it even more simple. Verse number 11, what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of a man which is in him? How many times, folks, how many times in your life have you found yourself having a conversation or even a conflict with somebody And the fundamental point of disagreement is what you say you meant and what they said you meant. Who knows a man better than his own spirit? And if you really want to know somebody, you kind of have to know them by their spirit. Getting to know somebody, to know what they are really like. So again, we could just kind of pose a logical question. Who who is better able to communicate what God is doing in saving men and the way that He wants to save men than the God who is authoring our salvation? Why would we confuse that by thinking that we could do a better job? Or thinking that we could remove particularly offensive parts and, and then we'll just reintroduce them later when people are in a better frame of mind to receive them. Why would we think that we are superior when nobody knows the Lord better than the Lord Himself? And to flip it a little bit, <clears throat> as well as you know somebody, To not truly know their spirit, right? I mean, look, folks, we all have public lives, we all have private lives, but we also all have secret lives. We have things rattle around in our head and hearts that we would just assume nobody ever knew were there. And if you can look at someone you know well and you can realize that they have probably thought thoughts that they don't want you to know or wanted things that they don't want you to know that they wanted, In what imaginable universe are we prepared to argue that we know God? That that we're able to speak for God. And not just speak on His behalf, but to take what God has said and done and rearrange it and package it in such a way that it will be more effective when we get done with it than it would be when He gets done with it. But it is instead, folks, 
that the Spirit of God reveals the truth and the wisdom of God. And we, verse number 12, are the recipients of this. Now we have received, and again, Paul uses the we, and it's not the royal we. It is the every last man, woman, and child who is a believer we. We have received the Spirit. Not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. This is the, folks, the only way that we have any ability to comprehend and appreciate what God has done for us is that God has given us that ability. Right? What does Paul say in Ephesians 2 8? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. All you got to do is believe. But there's a little bit of a problem, folks. There's a little bit of a problem. God's got to give you the faith. It's the gift of God. We don't get it. We don't want it. We don't want to get it. We don't think it's worth knowing or having. We were all at some point in time fundamentally like Bill Gates who said many years ago that reading the Sunday paper was a better use of his time than attending a church service. But we've received something of the Lord that has changed our comprehension. And so verse 13, we speak those things... Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. Again, why would, we, why would we go back to that? This is, By the way, folks, this is kind of a Bible question that comes up. It comes up with the practice of the law. This is, this is the way that Paul is interrogating the Galatians. Why would you go backwards to the law when you have grace? And why would we go backwards to the wisdom of man when we have the power of God? But the reality is, is that the less numerical the visible results are, the less confidence we have in the power and wisdom of God. When spiritual interest among humans begins to wane, invariably people are going to step up to the plate and look for more creative ways to generate spiritual interest. So not with human wisdom, not in the way the world would communicate, which I would argue would include things like turning down the lights and turning up the music so that the people don't feel threatened by church, but would also include this kind of goofball stuff like the invitation begins with the handshake at the door. As if the pastor is the modern equivalent of a Zig Ziglar who is packaging a product for your enjoyment. In verse number 13, which things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom speaketh, but which the Holy Ghost speaketh, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And if you may have a note, if you have a, some kind of a study Bible, or if you're looking at an ESV, it's going to read something like comparing spiritual things with spiritual words, or spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. I'm sorry, I've got it in my notes. If you have an ESV, it's spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 
Or the New, New American Standard is something like spiritual things with spiritual words. But, but all Paul said, folks, okay, and I'm just going to throw a little more grammar at you, and I'm well out of my league here, but, but, but I can read somebody else's notes about what the grammar is. All Paul said was this, spiritual, the first spiritual being the indirect object, spiritual, the second spiritual being the direct object. That's what Paul said, spiritual, spiritual. The idea is, right, that this is completely and totally a spiritual exercise in which we use our spiritually enlightened intellect, but it is not an intellectual exercise. So this revelation that God controls is revealed by His Spirit. The, The Word is there. The Word is proclaimed. Paul will tell us in Titus chapter number 1, that God has ordained preaching from the foundation of the world. That one of the ways God reveals His wisdom is when in the power of His Spirit, a man stands up and teaches and instructs it, and in the power of the Spirit, God's people receive it and comprehend it. And there is nothing that we can do that will improve that. And there is nothing that we can do that will replace that. Which brings us then to verses 14 through 16. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So God's wisdom is completely under his control. And under his control, he reveals things through his spirit. But the comprehension of that also relies upon his spirit. The revelation relies upon his spirit. The comprehension relies upon his spirit. Right, so I mean, it's it's like it's like this, folks. It's it's not like God has. Here's it's, it's not like right, like we're really living in some mystery dinner theater, where God says somewhere in the universe I've hidden my wisdom. Go find it. But His wisdom is under His absolute and total control, and He reveals it when He wishes in the way that He wishes. And when he's going to do that, he reveals it only through his spirit. There's no other vehicle of the revelation of the wisdom of God than the spirit of God. But the comprehension is equally a work of the spirit. It's not like God's spirit disseminates it and then everybody can understand it now that the spirit has disseminated it. It can only be understood when the spirit explains it. So, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The man of flesh, the man who is only man, the man only of body and only of human intellect, he will not receive it. He will not take it to himself as a thing worth having. It has no value to him. It is moronic to him. It is idiotic to him. And he cannot know them because they are discerned only 
spiritually only as the work of God reveals them to the man. And in verses 15 and 16, then Paul begins to make the application of that and he is beginning then to use this to move into his next thought. It's a little bit transitional because he is getting ready to explain to them that he is really not impressed with the way they think. So verse number 15. Verse number 15 is a little bit of a challenge, right? But he that is spiritual, and by spiritual again, folks, right? We want to make sure that we understand this. He's not talking about he that is immaterial. Spiritual means he that is rightly related to God. Right? A natural man, a man without God, thinks the things of God are foolishness because they are only discerned by somebody who is in a right relationship with God, saved. Well, what about that man? Well, he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. I think that Paul is primarily referring to, right? Because who are the men that are judging? I think that Paul primarily has in view unbelievers. Right? The, the unbeliever judges this to be foolish, but that's okay. Right? It, it's okay that, that the unbelieving world thinks that we're morons. It's okay. <laughs> They're not our judge. But I would also point this out, folks, that, that in the Bible, all of our, right? In the Bible, if we're really going to be faithful to the New Testament teaching, we don't really make human judgments. We make human judgments personally, individually, with reference to our conscience and our understanding of God's Word. But when the church body wields its judgments, it's not rendering its opinion, it is rendering God's opinion. We know, what the, we know what the Lord has said about something and we as a church body rise up to say this is what the Lord said and this is where we take our stand. We don't rise up and go, we just think that this is a bad idea. We might think that it's a bad idea. We might be right. So there's a private sense of that. But, but to sit in judgment on somebody, right? those are things that are, even in the New Testament, driven by the position of the Lord. And so verse number 16, again, functions, I think, somewhat, it's, it's a summary of what he has said and preparing to transition into the fact, right? I mean, we'll just look at this, right? For who hath known the mind of the Lord, verse number 16, that he may instruct him. Right? I mean, this just, this just plays on what Paul has already been arguing. Right? Only God is capable to know the depths of what God is thinking. So, so which one of us now is going is to take the podium and teach God something? But, but folks, within the framework of 1 Corinthians, that's what the Corinthians are... They're not, they don't think they're doing that, but that's what Paul is telling them they're doing. That, that they're going to tell God how ministry ought to be done in Corinth. We, we know what we're doing. We know how to do ministry. We know, we know how to reach Corinthians. 
And, and, and rather than agree with them, Paul is about to severely rebuke them. We, we have Christ's mind, statement of fact. Folks, we have, we have a Bible. We know how God thinks. We have, right? We, this is the sine qua non of being saved, folks. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. I mean, Paul's very clear about this. If you don't have the Spirit living within you, there's no chance that you're a believer. It's not about being a Baptist. It's not about growing up in church. It's not about going to a Christian school. It's not about being baptized. It's not about taking the Lord's Supper. It's this. Do you have the Holy Spirit or not? So we have the mind of Christ in the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God living within us. But we're, we're not in any place to, to, be, to be God's teacher, to instruct Him. And so Paul, right? We have, who has known the mind of the Lord? He that is spiritual judgeth all things. And yet, brethren, chapter 3, verse number 1, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. I, I just can't talk to you like, like you're, you're in the right place before the Lord. And we will get to that then <clears throat> next week. All right, we're going to stop there. If you want to take your prayer bulletin,